welcome to a new episode of Startup Diaries brought to you by Vern Sheehan, a leading technology recruitment agency operating in London and the north of England. In this episode, we have Mitch Beard, who's Director of Products and Technology at Bento Tech. Um, I'm sure we've all heard of Gusto, the meal prep delivery box that took the nation by storm. I, for one, am a, a user of Gusto. Um, Gusto built its own technology needed to get over 100% growth year on year. And by 2020, more than 2 million meals were being delivered every single week. Gusto's core purpose has always been to build products that have a positive impact on people and the planet, and that includes their technology. The team knew that if more companies use their tech, there'd be less engineering waste in the world. And so Bento was born. In this episode, Mitch talks us through the Bento product, how the idea came about, how the journey's been, how they've got to where they are now. He drives into how they've established product market fit, gaining early traction and challenges in the current market. Mitch shares what drives his team and how he motivates them, as well as some of his standout wow moments in the journey so far. We hope you enjoy it. Nice to meet you. Hi, Mitch, good to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, do you want to start off by telling us a bit about your story and your journey that's obviously led you to Gusto Bento? Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So uh, I am a software engineer by trade and training. Um, I did the classic route of getting a degree in computer science and then going into industry, and I've kind of been in tech ever since. Uh, my first gig was on Wall Street, uh, and then I moved, most importantly, to a company called Palantir Technologies, where I spent eight years of my life, which is a pretty large percentage of it <laughs> even now, uh, and did that for a while. Um, while I was at Palantir is kind of where I figured myself out. Um, so going into that job, I knew I was a good engineer. I knew I could write code. I knew I could wrangle computers to make them do roughly what I wanted them to uh, and solve fun problems along the way. But what I kind of realized at Palantir was that um, obviously there's more to that, to solving problems. And the unique opportunity I got at Palantir was that uh, I was a forward deployed engineer for that whole time. So my job was to deploy in the field, like where the customer is. And at Palantir, a customer could be a giant commercial enterprise or like literally a government agency, which bring a whole universe of complexity and pain uh, and intransient stakeholders and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of realized the thing that I was good at was not just the doing of the code, but also figuring out what needed to be done along the way, like the classic problem of what someone says they want versus what they actually want and dealing with stakeholders and competing interests. And so I got very deep into like product type thinking. And I often found myself at the limits of what the product could and couldn't do. Like if we were not quite there, but we could probably get there if we just done some thinking, that's where I often found myself and kind of developed out that skill set through extreme amounts of pain and challenge, which is the best way to learn. Uh, and then so that was going well. And the only reason I even left Palantir after eight years was because my wife took a PhD offer at Oxford, which is why I sound like an American, but I'm talking to a Brit, uh, and moved over here, uh, left because eight years was enough time. It was like, okay, now the universe has told me, like, go, go find something else. Um, completely by happenstance, found this opportunity that Gusto was throwing together, which is a total concept at the time. So I, I joined Gusto Bento two years ago. Um, as the first employee of Bento. Um, at the time, what they said was, we have tech, we think it's cool. We think other people will probably think it's cool too, and we'd like them to buy it. So if you don't know Gusto, they're uh, the number one recipe company in the UK. It's Gusto HelloFresh and a bunch of also rands as far as market share is concerned. Um, Gusto spends a ton of resources on building up an engineering function and a data function and a data science function that they're very, very proud of, and rightly so. Um, and the question was, we built all this stuff that built an incredibly successful recipe company. It's like a real Cinderella story in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, a billion dollar startup and all this. Uh, 
but they didn't know who would buy or what they would buy. So like that was kind of my job. But for me, with my background, that was exactly what I was good at. So like do the hard engineering work to go from platform built for a recipe company by a recipe company to a platform that could scale for many clients and also figure out along the way what it should be. So kind of like the perfect the perfect match. Uh, they didn't disagree. Uh, and so I've been kind of like doing that for the past two years, basically. It was literally just me for a month. Then my manager showed up a month later. And then we've been kind of like slowly scaling up the team and taking on clients and doing the hard work yeah. since. Yeah. I'd love to understand what the demand is uh, for the product and also how you found that kind of hopeful perfect or close to perfect uh, product fit. What's funny is I will describe this to people and they'll say, wow, that sounds really obvious. Like, why aren't people already doing this thing? And then the answer is, well, it took me a year to figure it out. It just sounds real, like the best ideas were immediately correct when you hear them, but it's like, you've got to say them at first. Um, so basically um, what we did was we spent, uh, Ricardo, my manager and I spent uh, literally nearly a year, probably like eight months just talking to anybody who would listen, right? <laughs> we're from Gusto. You think Gusto's smart, right? Yeah, totally. Okay, come talk to us. And like we use that as a learning opportunity, kind of like our first advantage we had by being Gusto. Uh, and just talk to everybody. They weren't even all subscription businesses, but that's kind of where we ended up focusing after a while. Um, and we just kept hearing different versions of the same story and you kind of piece it together over, you know, from all the scraps into something coherent. And kind of the thing that we learned and the founding vision behind Bento is that there are, if you want to do e-commerce, not one-off purchases, like I'm going to go buy this thing and maybe in a few months I'll come back and buy something else, like a bottle of alcohol on like mybooze.com. Um, if you want to sell stuff on subscription, there is a lot of technology out there to sell products on repeat. Like you go to Amazon, every yeah. time they try to trick you with the subscribe and save is like the preset thing rather yeah, yeah. than, no, I just want one of this. I, I do not need to subscribe and save to your exercise bikes. Um, <laughs> but like there's a lot of tech to do subscribe and save, but that is just a way to sell a product. That's not a business proposition. Subscription businesses, i.e., um, there are tons of them, right? Uh, Gusto, Naked Wines, Bloom and Wild, right? Lathwaite's. There's just so many businesses that try to sell you a proposition where you're going to open a box and have like a cool experience, right? For like the things that you got because you picked them out or you got surprised or it's different or interesting for some reason. There's no tech to support that, we've, we learned. And anybody doing anything cool is building, com building on top of primitive commodity tooling to like do their cool proposition. And we thought, well, Gusto solved this problem by hiring literally hundreds of engineers. Like maybe other people would not have to do the same thing, but still build equally complicated, interesting, powerful propositions. Mm -hmm. um, because if you're in subscription businesses uh, and you do not innovate, you churn. Uh, and so there's like a, a very deep imperative to do good at this and the text is not there to catch up. Yeah. Um, so that's the premise. So you've joined, uh, you know, by its own means, a very successful organization. You've come in and starting up this completely new product. How'd you go about getting that early traction and what are the sort of challenges to look out for? It's really interesting because I've kind of gone through like three emotional phases in the journey. <laughs> right. So like the first phase was, Mitch is here. This is a cool idea. Talking to Mitch sounds like it'd be fun. And of course, I leveraged that to the hilt. And then Mitch started talking to too many people and it started getting a little bit more real. And then for entirely valid reasons, I was told, hey, like, Obviously, we super believe in Bento, but also you have a job, which is to not break Gusto along the way. Like you can't overly distract them. You can't have people rebuilding roadmaps around like vaguely formed half ideas, which of course is completely correct. But it got people got interested enough where they started asking, should I be building differently because Mitch is in the corner talking about this Bento thing? And, and we had to be like, no, do not. So the second phase in my emotional journey was like 
don't overdo it. Like, don't distract Gusto. Like, you've got a lot of figuring out to do, which is great, but we can't commit to the path because it's just too nascent. No, none of that was wrong, but it's funny to go from everyone wants to talk to Mitch to, like, Mitch has to be a little more careful. Um, then kind of we signed our first deals, got our first clients on board on the platform. Tons of learnings came out of that. Now we're kind of in the third phase where we've, we've proven there's a product that needs to be here. We've proven that people are going to buy it. And actually, Gusto's now turned around and say, all those things you've been doing in the past year actually looks pretty cool because there's stuff that we've built for not Gusto that now Gusto wants to bring back in. So we've kind of come full circle now, and now we're having all these more conversations around like shared roadmap and trajectory and figuring all this stuff out. So we're kind of like back on a on like, that's the third phase of the journey now is like we've demonstrated the value. And of course, this is Gusto's tech all along. It's not like it's a different thing, but you know, the fact that we have this exposure to other businesses is very interesting to them, right? So suddenly they want to talk to me again, but now it's because I have like real insight come from the market, right? From doing this other thing. So it's been very fascinating and emotional. <laughs> Bit of a roller coaster yeah, then. Yeah. But, but I guess uh, we're recording this in May, 2023. Obviously the market conditions have obviously changed in the last six months. It's a bit of a sort of a more uncertain outlook on, on the econ- economics of the world, et cetera. Has that affected the product anymore in any way? Has that had any changes that you've had to make? I, it's a really good question. Uh, we've had a lot of debate internally, like do we pivot? And then my manager, Ricardo, who's a very smart person, will say we're, that word is banned, we're not pivoting. Look, I think like, I think you have to have core things which you believe in very deeply, like what are your core convictions? Mm-hmm. Um, and if those are wrong, Bento will fail. If those are right, and we deliver, and we can execute, Bento will thrive, right? But like. Your core conviction, you can't just change. Like, you can't just pivot it and suddenly everything's going to work, which yeah. is why we banned the word when we're talking about this current climate. Uh, we're too early to do anything like that. Um, so, like, my core convictions are unchanged. Uh, the only question is, like, optimization on what are we going to build in the next quarter and the quarter after that and who's going to work on this and how, how deep will we do the build versus a light version and come back to it later. So, like, what has changed a little bit is thinking about the priority order on our roadmap to align with uh, basically where our customers are. Like mm-hmm. if you go back a year, most subscription businesses were talking about acquisition, right? It was COVID or just coming off of COVID. Subscription businesses could sell literally anything on repeat and people would buy because they were trapped in their houses and lonely. So like the whole conversation was how do we get more people in? And I don't really care about anything else. Uh, in a leaner market, you care more about things like retention and lifetime value and profit. So like. The focus of the people we're talking to and working with has changed. Now, that shouldn't change our core conviction, right? Build uh, 10x better tech to run a subscription business. That's our core conviction. But, like, maybe we think more about retention-based flows rather than acquisition-based flows. So we're talking a little bit differently to clients. We're just changing where we put our focus in terms of what you can do with Bento. So mm-hmm. it's, what we talk about you can do is more aligned to what's in their brains. But hasn't changed really what we're doing, mm-hmm. just a little bit of the ordering and a little bit of how we talk about it so yeah. far. Awesome. I would love to dive into the fact that obviously you've built a team out now from it just being you and Ricardo. Of yep. Yep. Um, so what it, to, what's the size of your team around now then? Uh, so Bento is around 15 people mm-hmm. total, uh, almost all engineers, yeah. uh, plus Ricardo. And we have an amazing uh, uh, chief customer officer named Dahl, who's like a sales genius okay. uh, but everyone else is basically bento tech mm-hmm. um, and then of course on top of the core bento tech we also have relationships with a number of gusto teams so in a way we're levered beyond that core function which is an interesting thing to figure out um, but that's basically where we're at now so we've gone from a mitch to like 13 full-time tech people in about 
15 months, 16 yeah. months. Yeah. Awesome. So what, what do you think sort of empowers that team to go be the best team that they can be to build a Bento product? Super good question. Uh, man, if I just had the right answer to this, like I'd be a Fortune 500 CEO, <laughs> I feel like. Because this is how existential do you want to get? Because like how, how do you make people happy and deliver high quality work <laughs> against a vision is like the mm. hardest part of the gig. Yeah. Uh, look, I have enormous conviction in in the opportunity and in what the product can do. And I think that can be infectious. Like if you can clearly tell the narrative of like why we're all here. Mm -hmm. Now, what I haven't said, the deeper conviction, because we've been asking kind of business frontal questions like, why do I care? Like, why do I want to make subscription businesses better? Mm -hmm. uh, and look, there is like an underlying thing, which is like, if you spend too much time talking to Timo, who's Gusto's C uh, CEO, you will get swept up, right? <laughs> Carbon reduction by like 23% compared to a grocery shop, which is a statistic he loves. Uh, better choice, better variety means healthier outcomes for you. Uh, you know, so it's like better for the planet. It's better for the people. It's better for your life experience. And he's really into this as he should be, right? That's his animating function. Mm -hmm. And so my animating function is I could find 100 or 500 CEOs of subscription business that share just as much conviction that they're doing good. Yeah. And I can force multiply them. And if I... If I believe that deeply, and I do, mm -hmm. it's easy to get other people to believe it as well, right? Yeah. It's like a genuine infectious energy to it. And I think that gets people interested in it. Uh, then you've got some motivation, but then the next thing is like, well, how do I keep being motivated day in, day out? Like that keeps me long-term motivated, but not short-term motivated. I think also then it's gotta be just give people growth opportunities. like make sure people are heard, make sure we have a really strong feedback culture so people always feel like they're growing professionally. And the last thing that I, I think I pride myself in is thinking very creatively and directly about people's growth. Like I hold my, my engineering managers directly accountable to yeah. their people's growth. Like I'll, you know, in our one-on-ones, I'm like, how is person X doing? Like, let's talk about it. Like, are they on track? Like, when are you thinking they're gonna get promoted? Like, and if I keep hammering that, it forces them to think that way. And then people feel taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. If I've got a great engineer, and they want to go in a direction which maybe isn't super well aligned to the career track that we already have established, like, okay, let's go change that. Like, let's go talk about what that might look like. And so I think the respect elements associated with caring about people's career and progress and growth combined with like a very clear mission that you can get behind is mm -hmm. what we've done so far, <laughs> at yeah. least. Yeah. Come back to me in a year and I'll tell you if it works or not. Just to throw a curveball in then, obviously when we, we entered the buildings, we're obviously at Gusto's offices today and it's mental health awareness week yeah. is there anything that in particular that you think around sort of well-being of your team that the, the business does or you, or you do obviously it sounds like you keep them sort of motivated by that kind of growth and also the the belief in the, in the wider business but and is there anything else you'd add to that i mean the one thing that i've been thinking a lot about in terms of well-being is like we have a lot of ambition we have a lot to do we're all locked in but that can also be draining if mm -hmm. like you the way I describe it is you a team should not be running at a trot because then you're moving too slow and you can't go for the long turn at a gallop because then you get tired. You want to hit like a canter. It's like the only, I, I don't know anything about horses. You want to hit like that, like that, that good rate, which is sustainable over the long term yeah. uh, and still is delivering. And honestly, if you deliver too slow, that's also demotivating. To be clear, it's not just a business imperative. But like how do you maintain a canter without running too hot or running too cold? Um, I think goes to a lot of well-being. Like, I don't want people to be working nine to nine every day. In fact, if people are working more than what I would call ordinary business hours, I model that as a failure. 
right. a failure to plan mm -hmm. um, and, and project out timelines and estimates and stuff like that. So a lot of the focus for me right now is on how do we make sure when there's a crunch, it's as light as possible, or maybe see it off so it never even happens in the first place. Like the engineer last push to go live is like a meme, right? It's, it's been an industry truism for forever. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of my focus right now is how do we do that better so that we don't fall prey to that. It's okay because everyone else is doing it too. So people can live like happy, healthy, well-balanced lives while also moving at pace and feeling good yeah. about their work. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a business-centric answer to your question rather than like an explicit focus on wellness as an initiative. But right now that's where I'm putting my attention because we could do better at it. And I think it would have like a lot of value in people's yeah. lives. So. I think it's a really good point. Like I think you, especially when we, we speak with a lot of startups, you, you're so focused on trying to prove the point and prove that you can be successful and, and make a product and then start bringing in the money that you don't think about the longer term. You're just there in the moment trying to work incredibly hard and then you do burn yourself out and it does, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a short-term solution to a longer-term pain really. There's a, there's a quote which I believe is originally from the Navy SEALs, uh, which is that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So it's like, that's something I always think all the time. Like, how do we take the friction out? How do we make it easier? Mm. Like, how do we go at a reasonable pace, which suddenly will feel real fast mm -hmm. when we look back at, at what we did in the past three months, mm -hmm. even if in the moment it might feel slow, it's yeah. going to feel real good compared to we hacked out the code, shipped it, and then spent six months fixing the bugs and getting yelled at by our clients. <laughs> right? So That's fair. As, as, I'm interested, been any like wow moments in your career with, uh, with Bento so far? Wow moments in my career with Bento so far? Uh, so here's a good one from the early days. This is when we didn't know what we were going to do yet. Uh, and we were just talking about it. It was like I was the, this might be like a New York City thing, but there's like the meme of like the guy who like throws up in his trench because like, what about a watch? And it's like got all these like fake watches inside of the trench because you pick the one you want. That's what we were doing. We didn't know what watch people wanted to buy. So we were doing that. Uh, and so, but we were talking a lot about AI and, and all this other stuff and analytics. And we had this great conversation with, with a prospective client we were talking to. And then they're like, this is really interesting. Like, thanks, Mitch Mercado. We called it the Mitch Mercado Roach at the time. <laughs> Super cool. But also, like, Gusto's a subscription business, right? Yeah, of course. They, they, like, have, like, a core subscription platform, right, to do, like, orders and billing and stuff like that. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, can we talk about that? We're like, absolutely, we can talk about that. Cue Mitch and Mercado spending a week uh, not respecting the nine to five, like just <laughs> jamming on content because totally this is a thing that we were prepared to sell you, no problem. We just need a few days to catch up on schedules. Uh, and so we went back uh, a week later and, and gave them an entirely new pitch that had a whole bunch of content in it that we totally didn't generate in that intervening week. And that moment of like, we had this huge moment of clarity where it hits so hard that like, there was a demand in the market that had been unmet and literally we didn't even know until we got told by like someone we were talking to. And that was my, this is real. Mm -hmm. Like, and then we, we started talking to other people about it and it just, we got the same reaction over and over again. But that first moment was like, oh man, like this is the truth. Like it's right here. They literally gave it to me like, okay, this is it. Like the wow moment, mm -hmm. right? There is no truth in your head. The truth is always out there. Yeah. You just have to go and find it or have it be given to you by accident. Um, mm -hmm. But that was like my biggest wow moment so far. And like the strategy kind of pivoted on that moment. And it's now like we've got 13 engineers working full speed ahead on that because <laughs> of that random comment said in that room that one time. Yeah. So, Is that changed the, I guess, the direction of the business, the vision of the products? What, I guess what's, what's next for, for Bento? It didn't change it in that it was so early we didn't have conviction before. That was when mm -hmm. we were like adrift in the sea trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. um, 
but like since then, no, I think we've just been locked in, right? I mean, we validated it. It wasn't yeah. like I had one meeting and then we immediately pivoted, but like that was the aha moment that became a strategy and got validated and then like pushed forward. So yeah. what what's the longer term vision then for Bento? Right. I mean, we've already got a pretty good one. Uh, we want to be, we have like the tagline in the sales uh, materials, which I believe, by the way, you have to have conviction in what you're, yeah. what you're selling or else you're lying. Yeah. Uh, we want to become the best love way to uh, build a subscription business. Basically, like if you are running a subscription business, not subscribe and save, but an actual subscription business, it should be embarrassingly obvious that you're working with Bento because we will make it easy to do acquisition, to do retention, to do lifetime value, to do upsells, to understand your business. Like there's so many dimensions to it, mm -hmm. but it should be such an embarrassingly obvious choice to go with Bento that you'd be insane to do anything else because we're so well attuned to what you need and we've built it and it's all ready to go and it's flexible to your proposition. Yeah. That's That's like... That's where we want to go. That's where we want to be. Um, you know, some stuff to do between now and there, but that's our kind of like direction. Yeah. If you're a budding founder listening and you've got a subscription model, you'll yes, start, yeah. start Googling now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I already think we are have a lot of compelling reasons to go with this right now. And mm -hmm. clearly if you, our clients agree, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it should become increasingly embarrassing over time. Good. Yeah. You can't disrupt unless you're 10X. You can't be 1.2X, you have to be 10X. And that's not easy, right? Awesome. I'd love to dive into a little bit. The last two questions we always ask really on the podcast. Um, uh -oh. It's more about you, I guess. What What has been the biggest challenge in your career to date? The biggest challenge in my career to date? Ooh, I feel like I could take this in a few directions. I could just describe the most harrowing, painful product I've ever built and how awful that was. Uh, or I could go with something a little bit more like team building i I'll just describe the most horrible product I ever worked on. We'll do that. Go for it. Because uh, you know what? It's a good, grit matters. Uh, we, I was doing some work for uh, a client during my Palantir days, a government client, and we were deploying a new type of AI-based approach to doing some data analysis they wanted to do. Uh, at the time, no one was doing anything like it. It was very well attuned to the needs they had, but they didn't realize they needed it. They, they knew that everyone was complaining about the pain, but we were the ones that saw what it could look like, mm -hmm. the solution. Uh, so it was the first time we deployed like an AI model in this context. It is not 2023, we do not have ChatGPT. It's like 2014, 2015, when you know, it was like the tooling was a lot less primitive than it is today. Uh, and for basically uh, four straight months, uh, we have five people on the ground and 25 people back in Palo Alto working on this one problem. Uh, and I was kind of like the conduit from the client to, to going back to the, the head office in Palo Alto. And because we were doing something new, because it was very complicated in terms of thinking about the data and the outcome, and we were kind of like figuring it out, like I had the vision right from the start, but actually doing it in execution was incredibly painful and difficult for all kinds of reasons. Uh, those four months, probably the hardest I've ever worked in my entire life. And I never, like I said earlier, I never want to have to do that again, right? That was a failure yeah. in, in ways to control expectations. Uh, and we just, I mean, all night and all day, like uh, there, the three weeks prior to go live, I was probably working without exaggeration, 16 plus hour days, six days a week to get mm -hmm. that thing over the line. Uh, again, I ne don't think anyone should ever have to do that. That's a failure. Uh, that's not a thing really to be proud of, but I'm very proud of the outcome, which is that we did go live and it did have this really cool impact. But I think like the useful lesson to me was like hard things are hard <laughs> and maybe don't like work 16 hours to get there, but like 
if it feels incredibly painful and like so difficult, you're probably actually onto something. You're probably digging yourself a real deep moat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of the learning from that experience. Uh, and it proved to be very valuable yeah. um, for years after that. So, yeah. Awesome. And don't f- be afraid of pain. Don't be afraid of pain. Don't run from it. Um, final uh, final question from us is, I guess I'll pitch it in a way of, what if you were talking to someone who was looking at joining a startup, what sort of advice would you, would you give them? Ooh, good question. Uh, so I think it depends where you are in your career, what you get out of a startup. Uh, if you are relatively early in your career, a startup presents a really powerful opportunity to learn very, very quickly. Like if you work for a large enterprise, and I've done that, uh, it was my first gig when I went to Wall Street, you'll learn like at the prescribed rate. Like they'll have an expectation for how good you are and how you'll learn. It'll be a very well-developed learning and development process. Uh, and you can kind of walk that path. But if you want to walk it much quicker, you ain't gonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, a startup will let you go as fast as you want. But the problem is if you're driving a car without brakes or like, you know, a seatbelt, that's also a bad idea to go too fast. So like if you are relatively early in your career, and really everyone should be learning all the time, but especially if you're early in your career, the thing I would, I would be interrogating during interviews, because you should be interviewing them the same as they interview you, is understanding what kind of mentorship opportunities exist and what kind of like guardrails there are to you learning like are you going to be the most senior person thrown in on a product when you're 24 probably not the right place to be right what resource do i have to grow and develop myself professionally i would say that is where i'd be asking a lot of questions if i wanted to go join a startup to make sure it's a good fit for your your own career growth you're not going to be at the same startup for 50 years everybody knows that so like get what you can from your time there um to be clear bento ride or die but i appreciate some <laughs> people might want to switch gigs at some point um if you're a little bit late in your career uh, and you have more of like opportunity to lead it, the thing that I'd ask is like, how much, like, what will my role be? How well-defined is it? Like, how much freedom will I have? Will I be put into a well-defined box? Because you can do that. It's called corporate. Yeah. Uh, like in a startup environment, I think you should make sure that you have a lot of flexibility and freedom to go build the role the way you want to. If you're a little further in your career, that's the thing which I'd, I'd get a lot of clarity on. Like when I took Bento, I knew they had no idea what they were doing and I had no idea what I was doing. So I'd have a ton of power within that unknown to build the role how I wanted to. And now I get, you know, like I got to pick my title when I got promoted earlier this year. Like, so that worked out well. So that would be my advice if you were like a little bit further on in the career and going to start up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect spot to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us, Mitch. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. That was really fun. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.